Good morning, everyone. Hope you've got most of your Christmas shopping done. Uh, if you need to know my sizes or anything like that, just, just see me after the service. You know, I'm only kidding. Gift cards are always nice. Uh, let me just read a portion of the original Christmas story from the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. This is what transpires after the shepherds have had their visit with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. After the magi, you know, these prophets, these wise guys, right after they came to the manger, and, and then they were warned to tr not to travel back to Jerusalem and to report their findings to Herod, because Herod was just using them to kind of sniff out the location where this Christ child would be born because of his kind of demented paranoia. He wanted to kill this newborn king. And that sets up a, a darker side of the Christmas story, King Herod's monstrous atrocity, which history calls the slaughter of the innocents. Let me start reading with verse 15 of Matthew chapter two. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is gonna search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, and then Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, and he quotes the, Jeremiah chapter 31. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Last week, uh, Nancy mentioned the popularity of all the Hallmark Christmas movie specials this year, those quaint, kind of cutesy movies. They've been around for a long time, but this year they seem to have become a real phenomenon. They've gained a huge audience, far more than in years past. And I think that's because they, they present such a peaceful world, a, a simple world with, with simplistic problems, problems that always get resolved in the positive. Every relationship healed, every Vermont inn or small town saved from evil developers or whatever. And that's an attractive thing in this stress field season. You know, we all like this idea of peace around Christmas. We need the idea of peace around Christmas, even though we know it doesn't always match up to reality. There's still war and violence in the world, but, but all that just seems doubly wrong during the season. If you remember the tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary School took place right before Christmas. Last week at a Christmas market in France, a terrorist gunman killed three people and wounded 12 others. That same day, four people were killed in a church shooting in Brazil, though that didn't get much press. And all that just seems doubly wrong when it happens near Christmas. But the sad truth is that violence is even a part of the original Christmas story. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the stories of Christmas, the grand story of God's creative love, the war story of how evil came into being and how it damaged God's good world, the story of Mary's faith and her part in bringing God's solution to all this through the birth of the Savior Jesus. And today, 
This may be a tougher story because the scripture that I read today is nobody's favorite Bible passage. Even though it's part of the Christmas story, it's rarely mentioned at Christmas, rarely read, never acted out in the children's Christmas pageants. This angel visitation doesn't come with fluffy wings or halos made out of cotton balls. There were no joyful heavenly choirs, no bright streaming lights. Like I said, it's a chapter of the Christmas story that comes right after the visit of the Magi. The wise men bearing gifts followed signs in the heavens that indicated to them that a great king was to be born in Israel. And when they reached Israel, they naturally went to the place where logically you'd expect a king to be born, to the palace in Jerusalem. And what they found was a tyrant named King Herod who saw this prophecy as a threat to his power. His own priestly advisors told the wise men that the Jewish scriptures actually pinpointed Bethlehem as the birthplace of this Messiah. So Herod sent the wise men off to Bethlehem, said, come back, tell me what you find when you find him so, so I can go and worship him too. They found Jesus, they worshiped him. But as I said earlier, God warned them not to go back to King Herod, so they took another route home. And that's where this passage that I read in Matthew 2 kicks off. Joseph gets this other dream. Another visitation from the angel of God. The angel has a message of warning, a red alert for Joseph and his young family. Gather up your stuff and get moving because Herod is gonna try and kill you and your baby boy. Joseph has had enough encounters with God's angels to know that they mean business. So he, without any hesitation, he and Mary and the baby, they are on the next caravan to Egypt. And it's a good thing they did. Based on population estimates, Historians conclude that anywhere between 30 to 60 boys were murdered by Herod's soldiers as they swept through Bethlehem. Probably a few moms and dads who tried to stop the massacre. It was sickening, it was senseless, it was useless, the kind of evil you'd only expect from ISIS-style terrorists today. And that's what makes this part of the Christmas story so dark and disturbing because there, there are insane things that happen in this world. It's not all the sound of jingle bells and ho, ho, ho. There are other sounds out there, sounds of anguished people, people who are suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, families that are fraying, governments failing, dreams that are fading. There are Brutal things that happen, a wrong way driver on the parkway, a, a friend who slams the door on a relationship, a student who's thinking about suicide. There are global things, it's North Korea wanting to provoke war, jihadists who want to destroy Western culture, political rivalry, rivalries in free fall, maybe things closer to home, a family member who's out of work, uh, the sadness of a loved one lost to cancer, the loneliness of a broken heart. We'd prefer not to think about these things, especially at Christmas. Let's just sing carols and drink wassail, go to parties, open presents, and just for a little while maybe close our eyes to the harsher things of life. And I am all for that. We need times that kind of lift the heaviness when we don't have to think deeply or deal with all the stressors that worry us, when we can just have fun and let go and laugh and sleep late. Believe me, I am all about enjoying Christmas. And I'm all about making sure that when the holiday fades, we have a faith that's up to the challenge of facing real life. A real faith, strong, vibrant, healthy, deep enough to deal with the worst that the world can throw at us. 
If people just have a fluffy, cotton candy kind of faith, that kind of faith, it dissolves when exposed to the world as it really is. It won't make it. So I think it is important to realize that real, authentic faith takes some guts, takes some courage, some steel in your spine, and some grit in your teeth. And it has always been that way. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that it is amazingly honest. Nothing gets sugar-coated. Real life is displayed on every page, and as we read, we witness the struggles of people that they had to try and sync up their faith with what was going on in the world around them, things that didn't make sense, things that weren't fair, things that made life more difficult. And this morning's scripture passage is one of those stories. The first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew take us very quickly through the birth and early days of Jesus, a quick transition from Joseph and Mary in chapter one to the diabolical dealings of King Herod in chapter two. Herod is this incredibly insecure, nearly insane king who history tells us killed many of his own family members because he thought they were plotting against him. He was a paranoid dictator who was afraid of his shadow, afraid of a little baby. And when his plans to kind of sniff out where that child was didn't work, he issues this decree that all the infant boys in Bethlehem were to be killed. It's a despicable and evil atrocity, this slaughter of the innocents. But it's right on the heels of Away in the Manger. You know, I wish Christmas could just be hot chocolate mistletoe for everyone. Why does Matthew have to mess it up with this stuff about Herod? Well, the truth is, is whenever a Jesus is born in Bethlehem, a Herod wakes up in Jerusalem. The good news of Christ has always had enemies. The good news of Christ has always had enemies. Always had and always will. Maybe not in the extreme like with King Herod, but make, make no mistake about it. Jesus is hated by some. Always has been, always will be. In this passage, it's kind of King Herod of Jerusalem versus King Jesus of Bethlehem. And sometimes it's a bloody contest. I think that's important to remember. There is evil in the world and Christ came to face it. There is suffering in the world and Christ came to bear it. There is uncertainty in the world and Christ came to lead us through it. There is death in our world and Christ came to overcome it. That was the purpose of his birth, the purpose of his coming, to reverse the course of human history by reuniting us with the God who made us and who loves us and who has a different way for us to live. That's the gospel message. That's what makes Christmas matter. So think with me for a few minutes about Joseph and Mary packing up their meager belongings in the middle of the night, leaving Bethlehem under the cover of darkness to head to Egypt, a place that they had never been. Not knowing where they'd stay, not knowing what they'd do once they got there, not knowing what the future held for them and for their infant son. All they knew was that God was leading the way. You see, Living your life for God isn't really all that complicated. It really only involves two things, listening and obeying. Listening to God and then obeying what God says, that's it. I mean, it's simple, kind of end of story. We can all go home. Listen to God and obey what God says. And Joseph was a man who listened to God <clears throat> and then obeyed uh, what he's heard. That was as simple, it was as simple as that. He listens and obeys. We're told four times in the first two chapters of Matthew that God did exactly what the Lord told him to do. The first time was when he heard about God, heard from God about Mary's pregnancy. 
I mean, that rocked his world, turned him upside down. A divine insemination, that wasn't in his playbook. But he did what God told him to do, to love Mary, to marry her, and to be the best earthly father for Jesus that he could possibly be. And that's what he did. The second time he listened and obeyed was in today's passage. He heard the warning of the angel, we're told. He got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. Joseph didn't roll over in bed, wait for the morning. You know, he didn't hope for better weather or demand a second message. He didn't debate or hesitate. He obeyed immediately. He did what God said. If you continue reading in Matthew, we're told that he gets two more messages from God. The first is to <clears throat> return to Israel after King Herod dies, and I'll bet he wanted to do a little dance on Herod's grave. The second was for him to settle in safety in Nazareth. And both times he did the same thing. He listened and he obeyed. I'm sure many of God's commands made no sense to Joseph. I'm sure he would have offered God a few alternative plans. Uh, Joseph could have said, Lord, your ideas sound okay, but why don't I just hide out at the home of one of my relatives and so, instead of going all the way to Egypt? Or why don't you just like, pull the plug on old King Herod? That would just solve the problem, right? Or Joseph could have complained about God's plans. You know, this is not what I signed up for. My life's not going the way I planned. This marriage is not working out the way I thought it would. This believing, this belonging to God, it's starting to be a lot tougher than I ever imagined. This obeying is rough, and I didn't realize it would be this hard. But we don't hear any of those things from Joseph. He, he trusted in God's protecting care. He did that with a faith that listened and obeyed. You know, God has never really spoken to me in a dream. I've never heard a voice. I, I do sometimes get ideas while I sleep or impressions that I, that I think are from the Lord, leadings that I think are from the Holy Spirit, but I've, I've never actually had an angelic visitation or, or heard actual words from God. That's not been my experience. I know some people think God does speak to them through their dreams or through their visions, but I'm very cautious about all that kind of stuff because I think if you can say, God told me, if you say God told you better be 150% sure it really was God and not just your own imagination or your own desires coming out through your subconscious. I think people often put words in God's mouth in order to justify what they wanted to do all along. We need to exercise great caution when we say God told me or God is leading me. Be very careful when you use those words. But God had told, has told us most everything we need to know very clearly in his written word. Most of us may never receive a message from an angel in a dream, but we do have clear words of God in scripture to guide us on life's journey. The key thing to listening and obeying then is actually reading and understanding. Reading and understanding the Bible. If you're, if you're never in God's word, please don't expect much guidance from him. Let me say that again. If you're never in God's word, don't expect much, much guidance from God. That's the first thing. Read the New Testament. Start with a gospel or something practical like one of Paul's letters, like Ephesians. That's how God will begin to guide your life. And the Bible guides us in two very important ways. First, it shows us things to avoid, things that will harm us. And then second, it shows us things to pursue that will fulfill us. On the pages of Scripture are all kinds of warnings about everything from adultery to alcoholism, from greed to gossip. When we have a faith 
that listens to God's warnings and obeys those warnings, we are kept under his protective care. When we disregard what God says and instead do it our own way, friends, we place ourselves at risk. We place ourselves in danger. You see, God's not interested in stealing our fun. He's not some cosmic sourpuss. It's for our protection that God desires us to obey. Because actions have consequences and every kick has a kickback. But most of the time, people don't want to think about the consequences of their actions. We're, we're given to impulse. We just act or react and do what we want to do. And then we expect that God is somehow supposed to bail us out of trouble. And that's when people get mad at God when he doesn't bail them out. When the consequences of our actions do hit home, if we don't listen to God's financial advice, like from Proverbs, you run up massive credit card debt, that's not going to somehow magically disappear just because you pray about it. If you drink and drive, you may kill somebody in a car crash. If you mess around sexually, someone may get pregnant or a marriage may crumble. Actions have consequences, some that you may pay for for a long time. God says over and over again in his word, listen, like Isaiah 28, verse 23, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. See, God wants us to listen and to obey his warnings, but he also wants us to obey him in pursuing things that lead to fulfillment. Jesus says three times in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus tells us the motive for obeying God, it isn't fear, it's love. Love for Christ and the things of God. You see, most of God's commands are actually to lead us towards the positive. They're not just negatives to avoid, but positives to pursue. And over and over again, Jesus talked about the blessings of obedience. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it, Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He told his disciples in John 13, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. One way to translate the word blessed is happy. In other words, we're happiest when we are following the path that God has laid out. When we are in sync with him, in sync with our true selves, when we're in tune with God's will and God's purpose, we're gonna be the happiest. We'll enjoy God's protection the most when we obey his word. That's how we get God's peace and power going in our hearts, through obeying. And God said through Isaiah, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river your righteousness like the waves of a sea, Isaiah 48, 17. I mean, wow, obeying leads to peace, peace like a river, peace like the waves of the ocean. What is best for you? Well, God knows. God knows you inside and out. He knows the problems of this world. He knows the hardships you'll face. He knows the sin and evil that surrounds you every day, and he knows the best way through. Not necessarily the easy way, but the best way if we'll trust him. If we'll listen, if we'll obey. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. For lots of people believing in God and belonging to God, that sounds great. Lots of people want God in their lives because they think that will solve their problems, ease their pains. And people who approach faith this way, inevitably they're going to be disappointed. Because believing and belonging only hang together if they're accompanied by obeying. And obeying isn't always easy. In some cases, it can be the hardest thing you ever do. When you know what God wants you to do, 
but you are at war within yourself. Your temptation level's very high. Your frustration level's in the red zone. There are voices whispering in your ear to bail out, give in, give up, to take that drink, tell that lie, run away from a problem, slam the door, and the voice of Christ that says, don't do it. Trust me, listen to me, follow me, lean on me, take the next step, I'll help you through it. I'll meet you more than halfway. Grace is still yours. There are gonna be times in our lives when God's commands might not seem to make any sense or fit with what we want. And so we still need to listen and obey like Joseph. We need to receive the commands and promises of God with a believing heart. Joseph was a real man. I am sure he struggled with obeying what God told him to do, but he understood that whatever God asks, he also gives the power to obey. We are not on our own. No matter what is happening in our lives, when we listen to what God says, he gives us the ability to obey it. It's not just by our own energy, by our own trying to obey God. His spirit is alive, gives us the power to obey. He never asks us to do anything without giving us the ability to do it. No matter how out of control things might seem in our lives, when we trust in God's protective care, when we listen to his promises and his commands, when we align our actions with what, he said, what we say we believe, then God's love and power and peace, they can flow through us. And that's a life that's really worth living. In a few days, we're gonna close the book on 2018, open a new year, 2019. I wish we could live in a world of peace and harmony. I wish we could live in a world without violence or racism or fear. I, I wish we could live in a world where children are not abandoned as they are at an alarming rate in Bolivia. You know, that's why we do things like support the Amistad for Families program in our Christmas offering. It pleases God when we listen. It pleases God when we do things that actually can make a difference. As we look back on the crazy events of this past year, we are going to wonder about well, what's gonna lie ahead. What will happen to us or to the ones we love? Well, friends, all those things are in God's hands, and we are in God's hands. We are asked to serve him in all that we say and do. He's to be our first priority, and obeying his word is the mission he gives us for the new year. Joseph stands out as this shining example of one who listened to God and obeyed him in the midst of tumultuous circumstances and terrible tragedy. In the midst of this dark story, Joseph trusted that what God said was true. May the Holy Spirit lead us to such a trust in God's guidance and care. And may God's precious words stimulate us to have a faith that listens and a faith that obeys. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the Bible is so honest and doesn't give us a rose colored picture of the world. We've understood that the world has been troubled since the beginning of time. And Lord Jesus, you came to help us straighten that out and you will straighten it out ultimately when you return. So help us to lean into you and to trust you for the year ahead, to trust you to be in your word, to be listening, to have our hearts ready, and then to obey, knowing that you'll never ask us to do anything without giving us the power to do so. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, even this day, even this week, as we face any challenges that we might. Help us to know that you're leading us each and every step. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.